I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalise you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Our episode this uh, week on Thriving Matters podcast is going to blow your mind away. Now, listeners, you know that the guests we have on Thriving Matters are all ordinary guys and gals doing extraordinary things, just like you are. Now, Chris Hoyer comes to us from across the Pacific. He is a very colourful identity in the social media world. And since 91, when he did his degree, a degree that covered legal, um, communications, economics and government, he's put them all together really to transverse a new world of social media and all that came after that and moved and is an entrepreneur, basically, in residence, he says. So hello, Chris, and how are you? I'm doing lovely today. Thank you so very much for having me. I appreciate it, Carrie. Now, you can't see everybody, but Chris has, he's well known for his really bright, colourful shirts and his groovy glasses. So I get to see, I get to see the colour and the style of a man that has obviously thought deep and hard about the value of social connection and what those values really mean. And we're going to have a great conversation today that transverses what social media has done for us, but also what it still could do and how sharp or how focused we should be on using it for the best possible intention in a world that now is changing rapidly before our eyes and um, our thriving is really at the core. So how are we going on that, Chris? What do you reckon? That's great. <laughs> Happy to talk about that. Come at me with your hardest questions, please. Make me think. Well, let's, let's talk about it. At the moment, you are um, a catalyst at, uh, at Hopnium. Um, you guide executives and founders into the future of work um, for their organisations, for them individually. And of course, we are based in an economically structured world where we work, we gain a reward for that work, and then we're able then to support other endeavours, such as those who have businesses, where, we, where uh, we educate ourselves, where we have leisure activities, where we enjoy a hobby or develop those skills. And so that the world that we're in, um, since the pandemic uh, three started three years ago or a little bit earlier, depending on what uh, stories and research we <laughs> yes. um, I mean, that is really influencing the way we are now showing up daily. So for a man that has thrived in business since 91 in a, in a range of uh, corporations, you work for Deloitte's, you've set up many of your own startups, um, but you've also set up um, and were instrumental in the uh, social media club that still is um, in existence today and is the largest social mm -hmm. network. So tell us about a couple of your thriving techniques that get you up each day and smiling to get that bright shirt on. I, I, I well, the first thing is having wonderful people like you to talk to, um, sincerely. <laughs> um, you know, because uh, five minutes ago, I was in a T-shirt and uh, some loungers <laughs> Which is one of the great things about getting here because my dry cleaning bills are a lot lower now. Um, what does it take to thrive? You know, actually, I was just uh, interviewing a, a gentleman who we're doing a we're doing a webinar for his book called Mastering Your Balance, which is a, a terrific book. And you know, we we got into this a little bit here, um, and and it's just it's so personal for everyone. I think that that's one of the most important things. But right now, more than ever. The number one thing is about living with uncertainty um, and trying to find the comfort in it. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take out of that and please bring me back to the thriving because I might end up on a tangent that that goes somewhere else. 
Um, but when I was a kid, I started exploring why is it that I do this thing impulsively? Why is it that I'm so reactionary? I didn't even know the word reactionary when I first started those questions. And anyways, it, it tuned me into the idea of what is that little split nanosecond where I make the shitty decisions. <laughs> Whether it's to do something to, you know, do something silly or, or risky or whatever it might be. Um, and, I, and ultimately that led me to presence and the need to be present. And with my mind thinking as fast as it does, I'm, I'm a little ADD, uh, as they say, uh, post-diagnosed after school when I, I finally went through all the assessments and everything said, oh, that's why I do that. Um, and I have since worked to control a lot of those, uh, they're not necessarily problematic behaviors, but different behaviors, things that certainly upset certain people like blurting, uh, interrupting, et cetera. And so I've, you know, become better at it. But what I've also learned is not only to, you know, be in that moment with the uncertainty and be present staying in that moment, but to be myself <laughs> and to be okay with who I am, right? So I guess where I'm going with this is that to thrive today, especially, I believe it takes a big, a large amount of retrospection to understand who we really are to understand why we behave in a certain way, to get clear on what it is that we want to see, to get clear on our values. Um, for me, my value as one of my top values or my very top value has always been freedom, um, the ability to do what I want when I want to do it, so to speak, without harming others, of course. So we take that into account. Um, and so, you know, all of my decisions that I look at are based on, on that thing. Can I be free? And then what's happened over the years in thriving is that it is a cycle of ups and downs. And you know, you're not just constantly going up, you just can't. Even if you're just on a great career trajectory, you're going up, then something happens, you go down. And you go up, and something happens, you go down. And if you're really successful at managing your life and your career, you know, at the end of it, you end up closer to where you want, maybe the moon even. Um, but you don't get to the moon unless you have the willingness to try to pursue the vision. Yeah. And then one last thing, and, and, and I'll close on this here, coming back to the thriving uh, component. Um, what it really takes is it takes a village, uh, if we want to borrow from political yeah. figures or others. But what it takes is actually an inner circle of close friends and supporters, whether that's your family, um, whether those are your colleagues, whether that's your church group, whether it's your community association, whatever it might be. And so I guess what it takes to thrive is each other. Well, we're wired. We're wired to need each other, aren't we? That's yeah. what all the neuroscience uh, and the, the research is telling us. We're actually wired. So it takes a village and it doesn't matter what that village looks like. So you know, it's okay to be who you are. And I think that's part of the, the uh, world we're in at the moment where it's an instantaneous, beautiful world where everyone looks glamorous or wants to alter how they they look on the outside but the work we have to do has to be on the inside and uh so thank thanks for that yeah so the diagnosis with ADD uh that sort of gave you a couple of answers but it, yes. uh, it only led you to more exploration I love that yeah and it's and it's that notion of trying that's right it, I, I was reading something recently with just lean into the failing lean into your failing and just and just keep going another little step into the next fail and the next win um yeah it's a it's a great thing so do you have any particular um uh routines or rituals that you do daily well yes. over the years i have had several and when i'm at my best is when i'm actually operating from that um one of those things about being present uh for me um was uh essentially not being habitual. <laughs> well, this is a little bit dastardly sort of thing. And, and, it, and it didn't hit me. But I noticed, you know, because of the ADD that I didn't always do things the same way twice. And so somehow I embedded into my young identity that I was non-habitual. Um, I also, uh, sadly, embedded in my identity as an only child, uh, a lone wolf sort of thinking early on. Uh, so younger, because of the situation I was in in school with the younger kids, 
um, you know, my mother had cerebral palsy and my father did as well, although I didn't know my father growing up. Um, but, you know, I got teased and bullied a lot for, for a bit of that. Mm. Um, and so anyways, there's just a lot of lessons that, that really came from that early life. And it put me into some not so great situations. But at the end of the day, um, it led me to a place where I would be willing to be who I am in failing and success and to just own it. Um, and I think that's really uh, key to it. Now, I probably didn't connect the dots very well there because I started thinking about 18 other things I wanted to tell you. <laughs> and I tried to handpick the top ones and I might not have done so well. So apologies. No, no, please, no. please follow up as necessary. <laughs> now, but that's, uh, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because we have this picture of what or how we should behave or, or how we should be interacting. And um, I just know that to be self-aware leads you to be able to be aware of others and it helps you with those, those relationships. I'm really interested in um, uh, this notion of, of why being social and how to be social has really been the driver for all the things that you've done over mm -hmm. the years. So talk, tell us a little bit about this notion of how to be social. Um, because social, if we actually go straight to social media and how prolific that is and what it's given us a chance to do, an opportunity to do, it can be very harmful for a person's self-awareness of themselves or their reputation or their business dealings or the way the world sees them, which can be quite, quite biased um, in a way. So talk to us a little bit about this notion of being social and how to be social and, and what that, how that then affects our thriving? Wow, that's, that's such a, a, a great question. I, I think the, well, first of all, I think that there's a broad answer to that. And I'm gonna ask you to bring me back to this question too, because this is a deep one. Um, how to be social with one another. You know, I think too many people think spending time in the same space is being social. Um, whereas for me, I really think about, um, you know, being, to your point, self-aware, but it's about being awake and intentionally in that moment. Um, again, I, I had a really strange and, and challenging upbringing uh, where I actually did have to learn how to be social. Um, you know, I was awkward. I, I'm still a little awkward, obviously, in some ways. Uh, in some environments, I'm much more gregarious and outgoing, and some moments I'm more brilliant than others, as we all are. Um, but, uh, you know, I didn't, I had a couple of good friends. I didn't have a lot of friends. And then finally, it came time to go to college. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I got to like build a resume to get into a better college. And so, literally, my year 11, uh, you know, we go to 12 here. Uh, year 11, I started signing up for all this stuff and getting out and doing things and meeting people. And what it came down to was building trust in relationships. Um, and, you know, so much of that was based on a world that was kind of founded or, or had a foundation rather of, of respectful civil society. Mm. And unfortunately, a lot of the behaviors and ideals and values that created what 20 years ago we thought of as civil society have been eroded in the last decade or so, um, more so over the last five years for somewhat obvious global reasons, unfortunately. Uh, but it happened well before that. And, you know, it wasn't just one person coming along. A lot of these things were happening already. And I think that as we've gone faster and faster and faster due to the technology, our expectations of people have changed. Um, our expectations of the world have changed. How we live in that world has changed. And really, the, how we show our respect to others has changed. And what we really need to do is slow down a bit more. And I find now so many of my colleagues from the early social media days even, um, you know, are looking to be social in their neighborhoods to connect with real people on a more meaningful basis. One of the, one of the tragedies of building a global social media focused nonprofit is that some of my favorite brothers and sisters truly of my extended family, um, not genealogically, but familially, hmm. uh, live around the world. And I don't get to spend time with them physically. 
And it really is kind of a bummer. And then not being able to travel more so. Um, so we started to redefine being social during this pandemic while we were stuck at home with the Zooms and everything else. And I, I think the idea here is, at the end of the day, it's about our shared values. Mm. And we, we well, you know, and, and what do you mean by social? Socialization, you know, it's related to society itself. And what I've always had since I was very young was a vision of what could be instead of what was. <laughs> so any situation I was put into, and, and this comes down to the non-habitual stuff for rituals even, um, that it's like, well, how could I do this better? And so I constantly ask myself those questions and I and these things just pop up in my mind. I'm so blessed to be connected to the universal consciousness or whatever it is, uh, to have a, a memory that is almost nearly photographic, although there's a bit of Vaseline on the lens, so some of the details <laughs> do get missed. Um, but, you know, to be social, I think you don't even need to be totally clear on who you are, but the more you are and the more you are like, have addressed yourself and know it and feel it and own it, um, the more you can go out confident in the world. And I've got one last piece of advice I want to string in here that I heard recently, because a lot of people think that, and, and this is kind of a common tale, um, to, that we're looking for our better half or other half. And when I find that person, I'll be whole. And of course, the, the, the fallacy is, is that we need to be whole ourselves to be the person we most want that partner to want to be with. And so, it, it, you know, and nothing's absolute in this. This is another problem with life. There's very few things that are so black and white where you can't find some exception. Um, but in this case here, again, it, it starts inside. Um, and it's a long journey. And it's a lot of practice. Um, and like rituals, uh, I've just started picking up in the past two days now that I've returned home from a quick trip uh, to working out every morning and riding the bike, to walking every evening, uh, to having a smoothie in the morning instead of a bunch of eggs or a bagel or something not so pure food for me, right? <laughs> um, so it, it, it starts from within. And then it's about actually having love and acceptance, not only for yourself, but about everyone else who you encounter, because everyone deserves respect and dignity. Everyone is someone's child. They mm. are precious. Yeah, and that's how I um, I look at it. I I, I like the when you talked about seeking. You know, I'll, when I find the other half, I'll be whole. Um, we come up to 40 years of being married this year. Um, my husband oh. died, Luch. Congratulations. Yeah, Luciano, Luch. Um, and when I look back on it, I just think, yeah, we went in at young, 23, had, had babies straight away. We had the kids. Um, and all, all that you learn, and I look back on it and I think there have been times when it's it's been like um, I've gone ahead, I've sort of, I've had an, an incremental increase in or a change to who I am. And he he stayed there. And then you notice you go, oh, I think there's been a change here as well. So that you're working on that relationship where you're getting to understand each other a little bit more as, as you as you live together. And now I think this notion of being whole is about a certain freedom to be able to do that within a relationship as well. So I don't know how clear I've I've said that. Oh, very good. But that's what I what, that's what I've, I've I've come up with. And somebody I think we've known each other for forty three years because in those days you you finished your uni degree and then you save for a year for your first mortgage and you know it's a pretty traditional way of doing things. And now I look at we have four children, so I call them the licorice all sorts because um, they're they're all very very different. Their their way of thinking is very different their way of their political persuasions and their commentary, their social outreach can be quite varied. But their values around family and relationships and community, that village, so strong, so strong. And I just think, yeah, and we let, we, we, that notion of freedom keeps coming up for me, especially since I left a large organisation after a number of years, doing work by yourself, you really get to question it. So, I'm thinking that perhaps your your journey has all about been about freedom as well, but in that in the social in the in the social connection area, 
because you you describe uh, um, your childhood and your your youth and the realization of what you needed to do to actually be part of a society where you could then affect change through mm-hmm. the relationships. Yeah. Yes. It's fascinating, isn't it? And I've probably said too much. There you go. <laughs> no, not at all. No, that, that, that's really poignant and help and 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 helpful to it because. You know, what, it, what it's come down to and how it's been synthesized over the last couple of years in particular in the work that I'm doing now with Waymakers and elsewhere is that I want other people to have the same agency and sense of freedom that I've been able to enjoy. And mm-hmm. I know that it's possible because to your, to your earlier point, I'm just an ordinary messed up human being. Um, and I'm just willing to try and willing to be ple- ple- present and willing to make mistakes and perhaps uniquely more willing to be vulnerable uh, than other people are to share my truth. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that story is actually really important. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you on it here for a moment um, because it's, uh, and actually I don't know that I've ever told it in connection with this in this way before, um, but in terms of my life transformation, I was very fortunate in one side of growing up. While it was difficult, and while we lived on government, uh, you know, checks with my mother with her handicap and disability, not able to work, this brilliant woman trapped in this broken body, uh, which is a whole other story for another day. Um, which I'll share her book with you, which is a short one. Uh, like literally, it's like twenty simple pages. Um, but because of that, I was able to in the world get away with a lot of little white lies, you know, dog ate the homework type stuff, right? Nothing um, harmful. I knew the difference between right and wrong. You know, I knew when I was doing it, I didn't feel good about it. And then I had to maintain it and remember what it was. Well, I have photographic memory, so that would be fine. But I was on a vision quest in 2000, where a group of people were led uh, by some elders into the desert, in the Mojave Desert here in California in the U.S., to do a, uh, a three-day silent vision quest, like literally sitting alone under a tarp at night in the desert, <laughs> in a valley. Um, and a lot of things happened that week, the first of which was I thought I should get a refund because nothing happened the way I thought it should. And here I am sitting there on the last night, you know, the third night, um, it's I don't know, I'd say it's probably about two degrees outside, right? So pretty chilly. And I'm literally going, what did I do wrong? They didn't give us enough information, yada, yada, yada. And then boom, I start having this conversation with my father, who I never met, who I never spoken to in my life directly or anything else. And I don't need to get into all the details of it, but the, the, the bottom line of it was, what, you think you'd been better off if I was around? You are so lucky that you got your grandparents, your mother to raise you the way you did and open up these opportunities for you. And then afterwards, and a bunch of other things happened, a bunch of other conversations. But what I recognized that was really holding me back and hurting me was all of these stupid little white lies that weren't necessary. And when I looked at the impact of telling the lie versus having told the truth, it wouldn't have been that different. And so, you know, just in that moment in 2000, I committed myself to full personal truth and being that authentic self and sharing whatever it was as best as I can to be who I am, which is a a human, which is an imperfect being, Mm. which is made of and and a, a vehicle for generating and sharing love. And more importantly, as one of my unique gifts, is connecting the dots to help people see the world in a different way. Mm. Mm. Thank you for sharing that with us. That's uh, uh, the, the transformative opportunities that we now have because we, we are embracing mindfulness. We're embracing opportunities for silence, for daily meditation um, and some great processes um, can actually free us don't you think? <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so much work. And you know, the, the bit that was hard for me, because I'm also a Leo Virgo cusp, if you pay attention to that, 
I'm not deep in it, but I know it means something because um, yeah, it's yeah. the Leo lion leader and the Virgo perfectionist, feminine, all that stuff. And so being literally caught between that has also defined a, a, a part of my life because um, I want to lead and I want to love. <laughs> and I've literally been between those two worlds a lot. And in fact, there was a time where I was really working on how to transform the heart of business. Uh, now, this gets into triple bottom line thinking and everything else, but I'm going to come back to the mindfulness because um, I avoided meditation and what have you for at least a decade <laughs> because I sucked at it so bad. Yeah. It, particularly with the ADD, it's really, really hard. Huh. I still struggled to get there and do it. Yeah. But when I can remind myself, that's why they call it practice. <laughs> it makes it a little bit easier. But what it comes down to is creating, to your point, those rituals. And there's a really huge insight that I just recently generated from my work with Michael on this Waymakers. For most of my life, I've been thinking in a Taoist sort of way. In fact, um, the idea of going with the flow, you know, we probably all heard that as a kid somewhere growing up, so I can't claim credit for it. But, but what I did was I saw that as a really important philosophy, this idea of going with the flow and, and being in flow. But yeah. what I realized is that almost all of my job opportunities and interesting things that happened, with a few exceptions that are very notable, like Social Media Club was one of them, just kind of happened to me. Like something got presented to me or I met someone and it was that right moment and everything worked and all of a sudden I've got a new job. Um, even getting to Deloitte, I, I had been fortunate to meet one of my heroes from the early internet era, uh, John Hagel, who wrote a couple of books on network effects and the importance of networks effect on internet business growth, social networks, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, when I got to the Valley in Silicon Valley, I, I got to become friends with him and talk to him and learn from him and, and do more and interview him a few times on stage, things like that. And then one conversation over drinks at one of his book release parties, um, you know, three months later, I'm interviewing for a position at Deloitte. <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't go and go, oh, I want to work at a big four. It was like, oh, here's like my hero. And he said he loved it. And I'm like, great. I could love that too. That seems like a next thing. Yeah. Um, and I guess the point being in wrapping this one up, what I realized is that going with the flow is great and it can turn out wonderfully. I wish I had changed the word. Going after the flow. Oh. Oh, and, yes. and that's what the ritual in the morning and the other thing sets up. If you really wanna go after it and being in a flow state, yeah. there's certain things you need to do. Like I always knew the role of EDM music and mind candy, binaural beats and stuff like that. And, you know, and I'll still sit there sometimes stuck, procrastinating, trying to figure out where do I start with this project and this challenge? Huh? Put the music on. Yeah. Yeah. Stop looking at the thing. Put one thing in front of you. Focus on that. Don't open all the emails. Don't do the rest of it. Put the one document in front of you and just start at it. Um, and so anyway, that was very poignant Sorry. for me. And I'm still trying to incorporate that realization or recognition because it was literally two weeks ago. That, that's huge. Going after the flow. Uh, uh, yeah, because and it's in, it's individual. It's there's a freedom in that because you have your own style. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we have plenty of gurus around telling us just uh, buy this, I'll tell you how to do it. Bang, bang, bang. But you actually have to discover it for yourself, I believe. Very much so. So you've mentioned Waymakers a couple of times. So let's let's just have a look at tell us. A, tell our listeners a little bit about Waymakers and um well, it's, it, it's a long story to get there, but the but where we got is that um, and uh, a friend of mine, an old colleague from the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, um, we've worked together on a couple of things here and there over the years. His name's Michael Moon. Uh, he was part of the early Apple branding work and uh, with Regis McKenna and Associates, and he actually uh, pushed forward globally digital asset management as a concept and did that work with the digital technology companies, Aldis, Adobe, et cetera, who were pushing that. And he's just, you know, brilliant, uh, really, truly. Uh, he's been studying a lot about uh, the human potential movement over the years. Uh, he got some early uh, learnings in NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, uh, the power of language, essentially, uh, which is really interesting because I really don't like NLP because a lot of people use it for manipulative purposes. But yeah. the reality is, is it hits at an underlying truth that is neutral, 
um, which is that uh, magic is real. It's just not mystical. We cast spells with our language every day, right? And so understanding that and bringing intention to that and being mindful of it and being mindful of when we're self-limiting beliefs are preventing us from achieving that. Um, I, I mean, I, there's just so much. So this ends up being the amalgamation and the synthesis of a lot of my life's work <laughs> is what it comes down to, because I don't think of myself as having lived an epic life until I talk to people like you. Uh, who see the bits of it that are pretty friggin' cool. Um, because what I see is everything I didn't do. I see all the failures, which were much more in number than any of the successes. And because of my own psychological state and the other stuff, and, you know, going through episodes of depression over the years and everything else, because, you know, look, we, when I left Deloitte, we, we went after a software, comp a software concept in commitment management that I was sure was gonna fix a trillion dollar problem in the economy, which was that the biggest challenge inside organizations is people not doing what they say they're going to do. So how do we create a system of accountability and transparency where we can all literally get aligned on the same page? And uh, you know, I did it the wrong way. I learned a lot of lessons out of it. It made me a better entrepreneur. It made me a mentor. So I could learn how to teach others how to avoid these mistakes. But you know, along the way, I could tell you 30 crazy stories that could each be movies in terms of how they <laughs> unfolded. Like th there's that night at the uh, at the, the Bliston. Oh, I forget the name of the, oh, the Brixton. There's that night at the Brixton during South by Southwest that involved uh, uh, pedicabs, um, a, a, a large Samoan woman driving a minivan, selling illegal cab rides on the street, and then leaving us in the middle of a gas station in the middle of nowhere, uh, and then ending up back at this big mansion that we had rented with a party raging. I mean, like, just crazy, crazy, epic stuff. Um, but to have the epic life, we also have these epic downer moments, right? That's right. Yeah. And so... What I've tried to do, and I've written about this a little bit as well, is making sure that everyone understands that's a part of it. Hmm. And we all each gonna have our own, you know, kind of challenge with it. And now I'm afraid I've gotten too far afield from your question. No, but I think I'm gonna bring you right back because the importance of the village around you, the, yes. the, key, the key social networks that you have um, is, is there. And I think that's oh the, my gosh. that's the, that's, you know, that's where we bring it back to because, you can when you're in situations like that where it's very low um you are able to just remember five things on your hand you've got you've got five different resources you can use who can i call who can i talk to what can i do you talked about you know whether it's the diet or the exercise or like we talked before we we sp uh, started the recording this morning about um you know getting out for the walk listening to the birds that's a big deal for me um and then I'll get on, you know, I'll get on the bike later on today, do a bit of exercise, do some stretching, um, all that sort of stuff. But we all have a hand that we can actually just look at and go, I don't think I know what to do. Well, look at my hand. Okay, I've got some, I've got a trigger here for who I can connect with. Who's in my network that I trust implicitly. If, uh, if I'm feeling that I'm on the downward slide, that's not gonna be able to get up very soon. Know where do I go? Or I'm on the on the upward on the upward um, curve. Um, that you know the the roller coaster is starting to chug up. Who who can help me get to the next step? Who can support me? Who can I be accountable with to get me to the next step? And that's the social. That's the village. That's the village that we should surround ourselves with. And I was really very. Um, there, there, there's a, a a really crazy confluence of events <laughs> that, that was happening in 2006 and, and seven and even a little earlier than that um, with the experience that I went through in 2000 precursoring the, the rise of social media uh, I just uh, it was it was so powerful I, I've got to say I, I'm, I'm seeing it like somewhat reminiscently because it's not like that anymore um, in the way that it always was and it's not it still can be, right? So because of how it is out in the general public square of Facebook and elsewhere with all of this inconsiderate stuff and people not having love and respect for each other and so much egoic driven elements of it or even worse scamming elements of it because that's out there 
you know, a lot of our, our trust in the public square has been eroded. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, we're bringing back to the importance of that social network around you. I mean, I've got a, I mean, I don't even want to say this. I haven't indexed it like this, but there's probably two or three times my social network is, you know, at least saved me from harm, harming mm. myself in some way or doing something stupid. Mm. Uh, if not more than that, mm. by being willing to just go off and say, oh, I've got this, this thing happen and I don't know what to do with it. And here's how I feel. And, but, you know, and just expressing it and expressing it in my own true voice as if I was talking to my mother. Um, and that's really hard to do. Uh, and it also, because of the nature, as you've seen here, and the sort of kind of going all over the place, they all kind of relate together, but not necessarily in a way that anyone can see every time. <laughs> um, and my ability to communicate a lot of it, because there's these great little snippets and stuff, right, and pearls of wisdom. Um, and I wouldn't have them without the whole tapestry of the experience. But my goodness, um, I, I just, it would be great to be able to like express that and have the support of the network. Now I've had major health issues. I got a parasite at my wedding in Mexico and it took me out for a year. Yeah. Um, so going through that whole thing and just being able to talk about it, I learned so much from my network, but my network learned so much from me sharing. Yeah. And, and, and I've, I've, you know, I say how many times my network has saved me um, through being there and having the conversation and reminding me I'm an okay person and that we're all messed up a little bit, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I just feel grateful that those times were also times that saved potentially dozens of others, um, many of whom have told me that directly. And, uh, you know, I'm just grateful to be able to help one person. And at the same time, I can't help but think on a systemic level of how do we take this? How do we build the patterns? How do we put it into something that will help more people unlock their own epic life um, to be able to then find a path to seize it, to learn from what we've done, not to copy what we've done, but to learn from what we've done and adapt it to their own needs. And then to you know be a part of a, a group to be a part of a, a, a collaboratory is what we're calling it really, yeah. uh, to work towards that as your open and true self, not as the projection of the CEO that you have to put into the boardroom, yeah. but as the confused, uncertain, trying to do the best for everyone, but not knowing how it's gonna turn out and still needing to take that big decisive action that may affect 10,000 people. Um, and what that means personally, uh, as much as anything else. So again, it comes back to bringing a more holistic perspective to it uh, and uh, tapping into what you are really strong at. And then of course, the other side of that, I have to come back to respect because every one of us are so different. If we're only looking for people who share our values and do the same things we do and are in the same physical locations as we are, you know, it's, society's not going to work. <laughs> and we're seeing that breakdown now. We need to have mutual respect for everyone in every situation. And the one thing that really kills me now, and it, it's actually personally reared its head in the past couple of weeks, unfortunately, in social media for me, um, is this outrage culture. And so many people so hurt and outraged. And I was there, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just coming out of it. But there's still so many people just like, why aren't you as outraged as me? That's not going to solve our problem. Um, it's just creating more outrage and negative energy. And, you know, it really took me down after the three years or so of the last presidency we have without mentioning other names, right? Um, because I lost faith in society. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I thought we were bending the arc of history towards greater trust towards greater connectivity, towards a stronger society. And instead we just decided to cleave it. <laughs> Anyways, I don't wanna get into all that now because even within this environment, there is an opportunity for us to figure out who we are, to choose where we want to focus and to start taking actions every day to get us there. And, oh. and that's where we really gotta focus ourselves despite that sort of feeling hanging on behind me. Well, Chris, I think what you're talking about um, uh, that we're all smart people. We've actually got the ability to be smart people. 
um, and to actually to get along, to actually be respectful, to know that there's not just your point of view, that there are many others. And we all have different ways of, of taking that on our own, our own skill set, um, whether it's we want to call it resiliency or self-awareness. But it's it's one of the biggest things about creating value. And that's one of the quotes that you've you've given me in, in our pre in our pre-conversation um, is that we've got the ability to create value. So in our thriving, our thriving that's like the roller coaster, it's not bloody easy. Um, and some of us seem to get a granddaddy dose of the un, uneasiness of thriving, um, the difficulty of thriving more than others. So who knows what genetics that we end up with? Who knows what it is? What's the sort of the recipe of, of who Carrie is versus who Chris is? Um, and then we look at the rest of the world for that, but we have the ability to create value together. And I think that's, for me, that's what the thriving does. If we can actually go, yeah, it's pretty tough most days, or there are there are lights or little signals that I need to tune into. Because staying in the pessimistic, in the darkness is contagious. Yes, and yes. Um, we need to flip it. We need to just say, let's let's flip this and see where is the point of view. It's like it's like when the kids used to come come out uh, on a Monday morning, ready for school. You'd be ready to throw them all into the car, and there'd be a dirty big blob of toothpaste on the front of their their sloppy Joe or their jumper that they've got to wear for the school uniform. And you've just washed it. You're exhausted. You think, oh, I can't wait for the kids to go to school, and you just go instead of saying, oh my gosh, you've just dirtied the jumper I washed all weekend. And you say, how wonderful you've cleaned your teeth this morning. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's again, it's about this fact that we each have the power to choose where we focus our attention. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and you know, one of the other things growing up because of the situation I was in, I, I did a lot of the Tony Broom, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins, all that stuff, right? Um, what's his name? Norm, what's his name, right? Uh, Kit, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, uh, which was my mom's favorite book from high school. So maybe that influenced me a little bit too. Yeah. Um, by the way, my mom with cerebral palsy was one of the first uh, kids with a disability to graduate from a public high school in Chicago, uh, where we were born. Uh, so she was a bit of a pioneer. And actually, as I just recalled as well, she was a bit of an entrepreneur too. Um, <laughs> but to, to your point, uh, it, it really is, as I've now discovered, after many years of failing uh, to do it, it's about the habits. Uh, it's about the rituals. It's about um, more than anything else, as Michael has really instilled in me more lately, what you were just hitting on, gratitude. And the antidote to depression and sorrow and the other stuff is gratitude. And that was, I remember when I listened to that on a cassette tape 40 years ago, practically now, for the first time, <laughs> And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense. And I, and I think about it when it comes up in our meetings regularly, because now in our meetings with our Waymaker Collaboratory and everything, we, in an after action review, or if we have time during the actual 90 minutes we've set aside, we end with our gratitudes. What is it that I'm, I'm grateful, um, you know, that you showed up here, Carrie, so that I could actually remember all of these things that are good about my life. Yeah. Or I'm grateful for the fact that you brushed your teeth and you got a little bit on your jumper. So we'll clear that off because that just goes away now. It's not that it happened. It's about yeah. what we do now going forward. Yeah. And what, what Michael does is he has a habit where he journals every morning. And he has these habits of the questions he asked himself that are empowering questions. One of which is really poignant and I should probably let him deliver it, but I'm trying to attribute it as strongly as I can to Michael Moon on this one, which is what is, who, what is, and you use yourself in third person, so I'm gonna speak it instead of him. What is Chris Hewer a stand for in the world that I've forgotten? Oh. And every day to ask that question, every day to ask, what am I grateful for? What happened today? Yeah. Right. These habits uh, are really, really powerful. And in fact, as we're talking about that, I want to point out a book from someone I had the good fortune to meet this year, Erica Keswin, a book called Ritual Roadmaps. Uh, 
Ooh, and it doesn't just talk about personal rituals, but it gets into organizational rituals and how that power of unleashing our own epic lives comes to play in our social environments or in our work environments and how important it is. Um, because as you were referencing my uh, quote earlier, I'll just recite it really briefly. It's that the ability of smart people to work well together is the number one factor determining our ability to create value. And, you know, what really has stunned me from the very first time I did any kind of enterprise work with big companies or anything else is how little attention they pay to setting up their collaboration intentionally. Whether it's the tool choice, whether it's the timing or the how. And I think what's happened recently with this new VP of people role and with this new realization and it's more widely uh, widespread distribution because of the Internet is more people are realizing that whole human beings coming to work who are well can produce the most value. Yep. So why would we wanna put our people into situations that make them stressed, unhappy, sick, or, or anything else? And uh, you know, that's just finally coming to bear now. And I think that you know, it's that sort of idea that we tend to overestimate the amount of change that can happen in the short term and underestimate the amount of change that happens in the long term. And we end up getting kind of lost in that as we're trying to create change. And you know, ultimately that's what way making is. It's about making way for others to change things for the better, for yourself as an individual and for the world around you. So that ultimately you're able to live and give your gift to the world, whatever the unique gift might be. And the world around you is forever changed when they are touched by it. And doing this in the middle when the world is so unhealthy and people are being affected by that, we, we are now flipping it to say we need to value and respect our people more. And I think that's what we've, we've got it right in front of our eyes. We've got this disruption to a status quo where we know the value of people hasn't been up front and centre. The value of the dollar, the value of many other things, power, um, whatever it is that we we uh, we value, we're now coming right back to focusing on the village. The village needs to look after itself and look after um, the future. It's for the future generations. We don't do what we do for ourselves because we're long in the box. We're, it's a long time. We, we, we're only here for a little while, um, but it's for the future. And uh, Chris, I, I have had a fascinating conversation today. And listeners, if you are also fascinated, you can find Chris on every social media platform. Most. <laughs> most, that's right, most. Um, we've got more to talk about, Chris. Would you like to come back and do another? We, we just have more, more to talk about, I am sure. Um, Happy to. Driving conversations um, really have a depth to them, don't they? Uh, it brings out the humanity. It brings out our, our uh, licorice all sorts, so the way that we all show up. The difference, the difference um, for value um, gives us a, a, a similarity. There's uh, and that, this notion of our village. It has been an absolute pleasure to uh, have connected with you today. So, Chris, if anyone wants to find out a little bit more about... Um, at Hopnium and Wayfarers, a little bit more about your history. Where do they go? What do they do? Yeah, so it's a wonderful name, and I, I'll just give a little plug on why it's at Hopnium. Yes. Um, one of the things that I found early on with the social media club work, um, as we were going out in the world, we were producing workshops for free and doing a whole bunch of other stuff because we wanted there was a sense coming out of Berkeley that knowledge was meant to be free and we should be able to share it more and that it's just not evenly distributed, as they say, right? Um, so I was very much into that part of, of the world and how do we share. And now I've kind of completely blown it. <laughs> what was I going to tell you? At Hockdium. Oh, there we go. Thank you. See, I was trying to share a lesson instead of promote myself because I don't like doing that. But uh, let me finish with the lesson and then we'll be done. Thank you. No, it's true. I'm really, I'm really quite shite at promoting myself. But the idea was that um, as we did the events, I played with different formats. 
And so I became big on the unconference circuit. We produced open space. I went and learned how to facilitate and went through this art of hosting thing um, with this woman who wrote this terrific book, uh, Gathering by the Fire. Um, Marjorie Wheatman, I believe, right? Okay. Uh, if I get the name right, we'll double check. And it's been a while since I read it. But what I found from studying and doing all these events was that the best outcomes were produced from a combination of no structure and a little structure. Yeah. And so the idea of ad hocnium was to bring this ad hoc element together to bond the best of unstructured and structured okay. thinking and process to produce better results. And so ad hoc neum, like plutonium, but ad hocnium.com is where everyone can find us. I should just answer that quickly. I'm sorry, Carrie. And it added, you gave us all another, another book, another resource to have a look at. So Marjorie Wheatman, yeah. I'm hoping that's correct. My God, yeah. it's been so long. But by the fire. What was, there was another to yes. the title. Sitting yeah. by the fire, yeah. Sitting by the fire. And the other one was Erica, the ritual. Uh, Erica Caswin, ritual roadmaps, yes. Caswin. K-E-S-W-I-N. Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes a little bit of an accent gets in there and you, and you, when you're working on, a, uh, on spelling. Chris, I've had a ball. I have absolutely had an absolute ball this morning. Thanks for brightening my morning. Um, I, uh, I, I started yesterday with singing happy birthday to our one-year-old grandson. He's oh. number seven. So we started the day singing across the border because we can't get up there. Otherwise, we'd be playing with balloons this weekend. But um, that was the start of a brilliant day. Somebody had got gotten in and said to me, Cara, we've just seen something you've done and it just boosted me. I went, oh, wow. I usually reach out to a number of people. And by doing the podcast, that's one of my reach outs. So thank you for starting my day so well after I heard the birds chirping. Oh, that's <laughs> anyway. lovely. Anyway, listeners, if you liked what Chris, or you're interested in what Chris has said today, pop on to adhocnium.com. I will put that in the, uh, in the notes for the um, podcast. If you like what I do, carriebenedette.com is easy to find. You'll find me having a, having a red hot shot at most things that I do. Um, and if you do like it and think that you've got some friends, please share the episode. Everyone likes um, a little bit of love and give us a nice review. So over to you now. Your thriving matters. You are precious. Please reach out to somebody and tell them how precious they are and give yourself a big hug today. Thanks, Chris. Talk to you again. Thanks. Appreciate it. I'm Carrie Benedette and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters. 